Hello and welcome to the Northern Agenda podcast, coming to you from Reach, the people behind the Manchester Evening News, Newcastle Chronicle and Yorkshire Live. If you want to know what's going on in Northern politics from a Northern perspective and outside of the Westminster bubble, you're in the right place. I'm Northern Agenda editor Rob Parsons, and today we have a special edition of our podcast, which is all about how our titles across the North have come together to demand that the government keeps its rail promises. You might have already seen it on the news or on social media, but from Liverpool to Hull, our big Northern brands have come together with coordinated front pages based around the classic poster for the movie Trainspotting, urging Boris Johnson, Rishi Sunak and their fellow ministers to choose the North and choose to finally keep your rail promises. It's our warning to the government ahead of its integrated rail plan, expected in the next few days, setting out the future of vital rail schemes like Northern Powerhouse Rail and HS2, which have been long promised for the North. We're hoping we'll soon know in what order and when these projects will come, but crucially, how much of them we're going to get and whether that will match the government's rhetoric and the hope of leaders in the North. The report is being anxiously awaited in many parts of our region, not least in Bradford, where myself and Westminster editor Dan O'Donoghue have been speaking to local politicians who are united in their call for transport investment to finally come to the city. I'm quite prepared to sacrifice HS2. What we can't allow to happen is for HS2 to be ploughed on with irrespective of the cost and all of the other schemes that are really important to the North, like Northern Powerhouse Rail sacrificed. We need Northern Powerhouse Rail and we need it to go through Bradford. Otherwise, you'll have a massive city like Bradford, 537,000 people, youngest in the country, not connected to the rest of the North. And that's not good for the North, that's not good for Bradford. I do just think it's a no-brainer. And elsewhere in this week's podcast, I've been speaking to local democracy reporter Joseph Timmon about the five things you need to know about the Greater Manchester Borough of Salford, home to the gleaming media city developments, but also stark levels of deprivation. Yeah, it's very interesting because, I mean, the starkest examples is where you see areas like Salford Keys, where, like you said, about 10 years ago, the BBC moved in, You've got media city there with loads of, um, you know, startups as well as sort of the big anchor institutions as they call them and not far away just across the road in Oddsall you've got loads of deprivation I mean overall Salford is the 18th most deprived local authority area in the country and yet in the last decade it's seen an estimated sort of billion pound boom into its its economy. But to go back to our big rail campaign let's have a chat with Jen Williams Manchester Evening News's political editor to provide a bit of context. So Jen, the big newspapers of the North have done coordinated front pages a couple of times in recent years that I can remember. Can you just say a bit about why we're choosing now to make this plea to the government? There are lots of things that don't necessarily affect the entirety of the North of England when it comes to sort of policy and campaigning issues, but transport is very much one of them that affects everybody right across all the way through that kind of northern powerhouse rail corridor from, from Liverpool all the way through to Hull. The government has repeatedly promised both that scheme, that northern powerhouse rail scheme, but also a series of upgrades over quite a long period of time that haven't been delivered. It seems timely for for our northern titles to get together and say to the government that if you're going to do this, well, now is the moment where you do it. Here is your integrated rail plan. We've had lots and lots and lots of promises, including from Boris Johnson, but also prior to Boris Johnson. And enough is enough, essentially. If you're going to do it, then do it. And the mood music that we're hearing from government is not overly encouraging at the moment, is it? I mean, I guess you don't know how much to rely on leaks to national papers but both in terms of hs2 obviously the north south connection going to leeds and manchester and 
Northern Powerhouse Rail, the the reports that we're seeing in the media suggest that it may be that what the government is planning will not necessarily fulfil all the hopes and dreams of our political leaders and you know people in the north in general. There's been stories of the nationals floating around for absolutely ages that the eastern leg of HS2 is going to be scrapped. Although I imagine the government will probably present it as just kind of paused, kicked down the road. But I mean, I think that looks sort of fairly nailed on, really. From what people in Greater Manchester have been saying to me, there's not a lot of optimism, I don't think, at the moment, that the elements of these rail schemes that Northern leaders have come together and pushed really hard for are going to appear in the plan, in some cases at all, in other cases, in the form that they were hoping that they would be in. I think you know, it's unlikely that the government is going to publish a plan in which it says we are never going to build a new rail link from Liverpool to Manchester. But it's more likely that it just sort of doesn't really get signed off at this stage. It doesn't really get the green light. There's a sort of range of scenarios between all of it gets delivered in the form that people have asked for, which no one seems to be particularly optimistic will happen all the way through to kind of the worst case scenario really where you don't even get the new line from Manchester's Leeds which Boris Johnson has been talking about for two and a half years or so since he first got up in Manchester in summer 2019 and said we are definitely going to do the Manchester to Leeds Northern Bar has rail link the worst worst case would be scenario would be that even that bit doesn't get done and they simply upgrade the existing lines and call that Northern Powerhouse Rail. At which point I imagine that everybody, you know, politically up here would just go completely, completely spare. So there's there's a lot of elements to what the North had been asking for. And I think you can broadly split it into two parts. There's the the major infrastructure schemes which have been talked up, including by the government, the HS2 links and the Northern Powerhouse Rail links, which have sort of different versions. There's the versions the, the Northern leaders want, which is via Bradford, as you heard before, the Manchester Leeds, Leeds line via Bradford, Liverpool to Manchester Airport via Warrington and integration onto HS2 in the North East. But then there's also a kind of catalogue of upgrades which have been promised under George Osborne and various transport secretaries, going back to Patrick McLaughlin, Chris Grayling, that have been sort of faffed about with you know we're going to electrify this bit or actually we might not electrify that bit or we're going to do a bit of it or here's a little bit of money to upgrade the Castlefield corridor in Manchester and actually what those upgrades originally were supposed to do particularly in central Manchester was unblock that bottleneck that caused the rail meltdown that people will remember in in May 2018 because without actually expanding the infrastructure through the centre of Manchester, there's essentially only so many services that you can run through it, and that then has a a knock-on on on the rest of the north. So the idea was that they would add a couple of platforms at Piccadilly Station, that there would be an expansion on Oxford Road, and you would have this sort of the easing of that bottleneck through the centre of Manchester, and that was promised years ago, and it hasn't happened. So certainly for leaders in this neck of the woods... They're looking not only for the big sort of Northern Powerhouse Rail HS2 stuff that they've been lobbying very hard on, but they're also looking for all of those previous things that haven't been done. So there's a lot they're looking for. They're realistic. I don't think they're expecting to see all of it in there. But I think, you know, judging by the language coming from actually particularly Steve Rotherham in Liverpool, but also Andy Burnham a couple of weeks ago, they don't sound like they're super optimistic. I don't really know anybody in the system here that's expecting to see the underground train station that they were hoping for at Piccadilly Station, which would allow sort of HS2 to continue through into Northern Powerhouse Rail. I don't really know anybody that's expecting the government to go for that. The Bradford question, I think, is very much in the air, up in the air as well, as is, does Liverpool to Manchester, does that come off? Does that become a new 
rail link or not and if it doesn't then I think you know judging by Steve Rotherham's language I don't think they're going to be very happy at all over in that neck of the woods and you've got a whole series of upgrades to, uh, on the other side of Manchester the upgrades to Sheffield to Manchester line electrification around Hull upgrades to the east coast main line there's a huge wealth of asks from from northern leaders it would be unlikely if you were to see all of it but i think the worry is that you actually see very little of it i mean like you say there's quite a few different areas uh, areas of the region where we're looking with eager anticipation to see what we get but just purely on northern powerhouse rail i mean i think it's astonishing how long we've been talking about this scheme considering how little the government has actually done in terms of concrete commitments. I think it was back in 2014 that George Osborne, when he was Chancellor, suggested that a high-speed rail link between Leeds and Manchester would be a good idea. And we're standing here in November 2021. The scheme's yet to get any kind of approval from the government. And in fact, Transport for the North, which is the body created to improve transport in our region, has been told specifically, don't submit your plans until the integrated rail rail plan comes out. So it's been it's been such a long journey. But what I think one of the interesting things for me is how the uncertainty over all this feeds into the sort of politics of leveling up and what it means, what it tells us about the government's priorities when it comes to helping the North recover from the pandemic. I mean, obviously in the budget, areas like Greater Manchester, West Yorkshire and Liverpool City region got hundreds of millions of pounds to boost their transport links intra-city within their city regions. But when I speak to politicians and transport officials, they're quite clear that that type of funding is only part of the picture if we're going to boost the North's economy. And actually, you need better links between our big cities if we're going to create that economy, that agglomeration, that economy to rival London's and start sort of tackling these regional inequalities. I mean, is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I think I was only thinking last night, actually, back in March 2013, I was sent to cover a property conference that some listeners might know that gets held in the south of France every year, which is uh, not a bad gig in terms of something to go and cover. And I should stress I've only had that opportunity once. Um, but I went 2013. And that was the year when Jim O'Neill, the economist, and eventually the Treasury Minister under George Osborne, was there very much talking about this idea of Liverpool, Manchester and Hull being a sort of corridor of urban areas which were not punching its weight and that it would make sense for those areas to be to be joined up. And that was, well, we're getting on for a decade ago that that debate was being had. And then, as you say, not long afterwards, you had George Osborne talking about Northern Biohouse Wales. So for exactly that purpose. So, you know, those economic arguments were being made all the way back then. They they are still supported by leaders in the North, as far as I'm concerned. It's, I'm, you know, they, they, I can see. I mean, I don't think that it's seen as an either or. It's not seen as, uh, oh, well, you know, you've got your public transport funding now, so the rest of it can basically go away. That's, that's sort of not really not really how it's supposed to work. I think on public transport, I suspect that there were those in number 10 who view public transport as being more of the priority politically because it's more of a quick win and it's more of something before the next general election that you can say to the public, look, we've we've delivered this. Although I would actually put question marks even over that because some of these things actually are going to take 
you know, longer than that to, to transpire, I think. But they're, they're quicker wins than building a new high-speed rail link between Manchester and Leeds. And that's the thing, if you're the Treasury or you're the current government that is stumping up billions of pounds for a major infrastructure project, it won't be you that feels the political benefit of it because it, it, it won't appear for potentially tens of years so you can kind of feel like that political trade-off is potentially happening. And then you've also got a treasury that's classically not super keen on ploughing as much infrastructure investment into the north as perhaps a Boris Johnson or an Andy Burnham might go out and suggest they should. So, so yeah, I mean, I agree with that analysis, but I think I, I'm sure if we were to have any of our northern leaders on here, they would they would point out public transport funding and intercity transport links are both required and are both long overdue. You've written about it in uh, the piece that's sort of uh, going out today to go with our front page coverage. The uh, precisely quite similar point to this was made in 2017 by a, a plucky conservative backbencher in, in a Westminster debate saying that the North had been held back for too long by a lack of rail links and that it was about time that money was put in to solve that problem. And for the punchline, Jen, who was, who was that backbencher? That was Rishi Sunak. And I should stress that that, that was actually your spot. So I did, it was Rob that spotted that in uh, in, in Hansard. I mean, it's, it's the perfect example, isn't it? But I mean, you know, you, you could go through and pull out any number of these quotes from Conservative politics. Obviously, Rishi, Rishi Sunak has a northern seat. It's not an argument that... It's almost like it's not an argument that needs to be made. Like, it's been made so many times now. It's not that the argument isn't credible or that it hasn't been made by lots and lots of credible people it's just the doing of it and that and that's kind of that's why we're doing this campaign this week isn't it because that's the opportunity that this rail plan presents absolutely so we will see in the coming days whether 2021 rishi sunak agrees with 2017 rishi sunak the integrated rail plan will be coming out soon we hope and i imagine we'll be getting together on the podcast again to discuss it so jen thank you very much and let's hear now from the perspective from bradford The integrated rail plan, it doesn't sound like the most exciting thing in the world, but its contents will impact the lives of millions of people across the north of England. We're led to believe it will be published in the next few weeks, and it will tell us the fate of the eastern leg of HS2 to Leeds, and also Northern Powerhouse Rail, which we're told will improve infrastructure and offer a faster and more reliable rail service across the entire region. But there has been concern over the summer and in recent weeks that some elements of the scheme could be scaled back, most notably in Bradford. With me now to discuss this is Shipley MP Philip Davis. Philip, welcome. Hi. Could you just bring our listeners up to speed with Northern Powerhouse Rail and kind of what some of the concerns are? Northern Powerhouse Rail is absolutely essential for the northern economy. Uh, it's the worst part of the infrastructure probably in the country. Um, I mean, as it as it happens, actually, the, the bit of in, infrastructure that does tend to work pretty well at the moment is getting from north to south or south to north. Getting to London is the bit that actually does work. The bit that doesn't work is getting across the north. It takes probably longer to get from Bradford to Liverpool on the train than it does to get from Bradford to London. And that is completely unacceptable. And so Northern Powerhouse Rail has been the thing that in the north that we've really been desperate to see. Uh, and Bradford is one of the biggest cities in the country. Um, it's underachieved over uh, many years now. And a lot of that is down to the fact that it's got such terrible transport infrastructure. Um, a Northern Powerhouse Rail gives an opportunity for Bradford to have a station stop uh, on Northern Powerhouse Rail, which will really allow it to unlock its economic potential. 
Um, and obviously there would be a concern if Northern Powerhouse Rail was scaled back in, in any way uh, or if Bradford wasn't included as a station stop on it. So, you know, those two things are absolutely critical for the uh, regional economy, but also, you know, the local economy in Bradford and the, the wider Bradford district. What will it mean if Bradford is left off this link? I mean, what will it mean to the to the city's economy? It will be a, a huge blow, um, and it will just mean that we will have the, a, a bigger and bigger gap between how Leeds and Bradford perform. You know, for many of us up north, we 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 fear, particularly in in uh, in places like Bradford, we fear that for many people, you know, the sort of uh, northern. Uh, economy seems to revolve around Leeds and Manchester only. And actually, people have got to understand that the regional economy is much bigger than just Leeds and Manchester. And if we don't get a station stop in in, uh, in Bradford and everything just goes be- between Leeds and Manchester, then it will, just, it will just create a bigger and bigger gap between Leeds and Manchester on one hand and the rest of the northern economy on the other. And this gives us a real opportunity to close that gap and actually bring up places like Bradford, which has, uh, you know, been the poor relation of Leeds for, for far too many years now. Now, one of your fellow Yorkshire MPs, and who's now the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, when he used to be on the back benches, he used to regularly kind of argue for stuff like this. Have you or any of your colleagues gone over to the Treasury and pointed him to his past comments when he used to regularly argue for Northern Powerhouse Rail and, th- and things like this? Yeah, obviously, we we have many meetings with uh, with Rishi as uh, as a as a fellow Yorkshire MP and, and a Northern MP, and look, I, I don't know what decisions the government's going to come to. All, all I can tell you is that in those discussions, Rishi has all, always been very supportive of the importance of Northern Powerhouse Rail, and um, I hope that uh, if there is any uh, discussions and disputes in in government, I don't know if there are or not, but if there are, I hope those who are the biggest advocates of Northern Powerhouse Rail, and in particular a station stop in, in Bradford, and I think Rishi and Grant Shapps are both in that camp. I, I hope they, I hope they prevail. You know, as well as a potential economic hit if Bradford's not included. I mean, do you worry there could be kind of a political hit? I mean, obviously you've got Andy Burnham there pitching himself as the king in the north, and Labour saying you know the north has been betrayed on a lot of things. Do you worry that they'll make a lot of hay out of this if if certain things aren't delivered in full? Well, I mean, I, you know, I don't know how, what the political implications would be. That's that's not what really particularly troubles me. I mean, uh, you know the this Conservative government, and to be fair, it was started by George Osborne, is probably the first government in history that's made any efforts to actually put some proper transport infrastructure in the in the north. So I'm not entirely sure um, that there would be much for the Labour Party to crow about, given that they did, uh, you know, next to nothing in all the years that they were in government. It's only, it's only since the, the Conservatives got back into office that this has been on anybody's agenda at all, really. So I'm not, you know, the political fallout from it. I, I don't know what that would be. That 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 doesn't. It's that's not the thing that troubles me. Uh, what what bothers me is that there's a massive amount of economic potential in Bradford and the wider Bradford district, and this is absolutely crucial to untapping it. And it would be a massive, massive mistake and wasted opportunity. It's probably a one-off opportunity to deliver the kind of transport infrastructure that will benefit Bradford massively economically and, and you know i just 
don't want us to miss out on that opportunity. There was some worry last week in the in the budget when you know there was a lot of extra cash announced for kind of city regions and mayors to do your intra-city transport, and there was worry that maybe that potentially was going to link to the wider project kind of being scaled back. Do you see that at all, or, or do you think Rishi might pull another rabbit out of the hat with all of this? No, I, d- I don't see that it's an either-or. I don't see that it's either sort of more local infrastructure which is also essential, I might add. You know, our infrastructure is so poor in the north. We need um, sort of more strategic infrastructure like Northern Powerhouse Rail, but we also need more local schemes as well. So I don't see it as an either-or, and I very much hope it isn't an either-or. But look, I mean, you know, we've also got to be realistic. Uh, You know, HS2 has gone way over budget, miles over budget, started out at $37 I think we're now up to around 150 billion in terms of people's expectations. That has to that there has to be an impact. You know, there isn't a bottomless pit of money. And so, you know, what 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 I think is really important, the message I want to get out is, you know, let's forget about HS2, which to me is a huge white elephant, which won't actually make any great economic difference to the north. It'll probably benefit London more than it'll benefit the north. Let's I'm quite prepared to sacrifice HS2. Um what we can't allow to happen is for HS2 to be ploughed on with irrespective of the cost and all of the other schemes that are really important to the North, like Northern Powerhouse Rail sacrificed because of the overrunning cost of HS2. I think, you know, we've got to be realistic in the North and start saying to the government, look, we appreciate that there is a, not a bottomless pit. Let's have what's most important for us. And I think everybody would agree, whatever people's personal opinion on HS2 is, I think everybody in the North would agree that Northern Powerhouse Rail is far, far more important to the Northern economy than HS2 is. And finally, I couldn't really let you go without asking you kind of where you stood on this whole debate at the moment around MPs having second jobs. Well, you know, I, I have a I have an extra job uh, working, uh, I think, 10 hours a month is what it totals up to for the National Pawnbroking Association. Uh, I spend more time than that watching Bradford City play football, to be perfectly honest. It doesn't impact on my uh, ability to look after my constituents or serve my constituents. Uh, I think anybody who uh, you speak to in my constituency will say that if they email me, they get an instant reply. So it's not as if it's um, stopping me doing what I would do for my constituents. And I think actually to have MPs who have a wider knowledge about different things, and uh, I think is I personally think is a is a good thing. And not you know if you if, if you if, if people change the rules then everyone will have to fall in line, won't they? And, that, you know, I'm not going to, um, you know, complain about that. I'll follow the rules, whatever they are. But um, I think what we've got to differentiate is between people doing something legitimately and people who were breaking the rules. And the rules are perfectly very strict. And I'm in favour of those rules about lobbying. Um, and so I don't, I, don't, I don't think we should sort of confuse the two things. And if you do stop second jobs, where, you know, where do you draw the line? Are you going to stop people, MPs, writing books? Are you going to stop them writing articles? Um, are you going to stop them being ministers? Because obviously, a, you know, if, a, if being a, a, a local MP is considered to be a, a full-time job and you can't do anything else, then presumably you can't be a government minister either or prime minister. So, you know, where are we going to... Draw the line, and you know, if 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 I, you know, I spend ten hours a month doing something, um, which uh, in my in my spare time, you know, if I if I, if I spent those ten hours a month sat watching Bradford City, nobody complains. It's surely in those in those, in my spare time, what I do is a matter for me, as long as it's not impacting on the service I give to my constituents. 
um, or leading me to do something that I shouldn't be doing, which which I don't. So, um, you know, I, I think we should uh, we we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's enforce the rules as they are enforced quite properly. Let's let's just make sure the the strict rules we have in place are properly enforced. One of the places in the north watching the government's rail plans most closely is Bradford, a city with a young population whose untapped potential is ready to be unleashed. The fifth largest metropolitan district in the UK with one of the fastest growing and youngest economies. Bradford must also be one of the worst connected cities in the country. A train from Bradford to Manchester takes about one hour and an average train journey to neighbouring Leeds takes 23 minutes, trundling along at just 33 miles an hour. Northern leaders have been unanimous that the solution is a city centre station in Bradford as part of the high-speed Northern Powerhouse Rail and they even know where the station would be. St James's Wholesale Market where it's claimed large-scale regeneration could be of a size and significance similar to that of London Olympic Park. But as things stand, it's unclear whether the government's rail plan to be published in the coming days will indeed include Bradford or whether a cheaper alternative is being proposed. So let's talk to Susan Hinchcliffe, the Labour leader of Bradford Council, who has been pushing for a city centre station from the very start. Susan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. To put it in perspective for people who don't know Bradford very well, how big a deal is all of this for your city? So I think Bradford should be the poster child for levelling up, to be quite honest. Uh, We're a city of 537,000 people. We're the youngest city in the UK. um, And we're on a spur of the M606 from the M62. We're also on um, spurs from the railway, so we have to go into Bradford Interchange and then reverse out again to go to Leeds, for example, if you come from the Calder Valley, and that needs to change. We feel, as a city, we need to be on Northern Powerhouse Rail, on a through line, going from Leeds, Bradford, Manchester, and that would really transform our prospects as a city. Uh, It's not just about connectivity, it's about regeneration, and all our plans for the city centre are predicated on us getting our new station in the city centre. And based on what you've been hearing so far, and obviously there've been lots of press reports suggesting all kinds of things, I mean, how confident are you that you're going to get what you want from the integrated rail plan whenever it appears? So I think um, Bradford is absolutely the kind of investment that government uh, uh, should be making. Um, We've been making our case for many years now about uh, the connectivity, about the potential. We're a city of 10 billion GVA. We should be 14 billion. We know that having a city centre station would give us another 30 billion GVA over 10 years so it's uh, we think the business case is made um we're just wanting to make sure the government made the right decision and i am afraid i'm not in government so i I can't tell you what they're going to say but if they've if they're really putting um their common sense at the part of this decision making they will choose to put bradford on northern powers rail and give us a new station at james's are there other ways to achieve better connections for bradford that don't involve building a new line between Leeds and Manchester. Obviously, that's what Boris Johnson has promised a couple of years ago. But are are there other things that you could do that perhaps wouldn't cost as much, like, you know, improving the existing lines? Or is that not a satisfactory solution as far as you're concerned? No, I mean, I think uh, this is the only way to put Bradford uh, at the heart of the north of England. Uh, We have a young workforce. We have high youth unemployment. When When you're in a 
a situation as we are now in the north of England with skill shortages and people crying out for people, then we've got all those young people here ready to do those jobs, but they can't get to those places. So I, I do think it, it would cost more not to put Bradford on Northern Powerhouse Rail than to put us on Bradford, Northern Powerhouse Rail. So I, I do think the economic argument is very clear for including us on that. And um it is absolutely the right thing to do. Obviously, we need other connectivity like you know better buses, walking, cycling. Uh, mass transit is something that we're also pursuing with West Yorkshire. So all those things need doing. But we are way behind as a country in transport infrastructure. And that has held us back for generations, if not centuries in Bradford. And I do think now is the time to put that right. To be clear, so the new station at St. James's Market, which you sort of have been speaking about for the last few months, is that a non-starter? Will that not happen if there isn't a Northern Powerhouse Rail line going into Bradford? Are the two things sort of inextricably linked in that in that way? Well, obviously, if you've got a station, it's got to be connected to something. So there's no point in having a new station that doesn't go anywhere. Um, so the station is really important for us in terms of regeneration. But, of course, once you start moving the station and moving the rails, etc., and moving the routes and electrifying the line, then you're in for quite a lot of investment anyway. You might as well then connect that to Northern Powerhouse Rail. So we've been quite pragmatic in Bradford. At first, we were pitching for underground station to go um, through the interchange, the existing interchange, but we had feedback from government that that wouldn't be acceptable. That would be that would price us out of the competition, if you like, uh, to get our new station. So we've been pragmatic and looked for another site, uh, found St James's, which is just um, on the opposite side of the road from the uh, interchange uh, station, but is something that we could connect uh, with the regional geography. Um, and we believe it's a really good deal for, for government. It's our site. We own it already. We could get on with building that straight away. It could be up and running by 2028, 2030. And how many major rail projects could you say could do that? So we've got plans. We want to deliver on them, but we do need government to co-invest with us to make it happen. It's interesting that your initial pitch was for an underground station because I guess there's a similar debate going on in Manchester isn't there at Piccadilly station I think Andy Burnham wants an underground station there I mean I guess when I talk to people in the rail industry they talk about the you know the existing Transpennine route upgrade is sort of in the process of going on at the moment and it's causing a lot of disruption and things having to be dug up the existing services being scaled back for that disruption do you think people in Bradford understand that you know potentially if Northern Powerhouse Rail does come into the city, it could be quite disruptive in the short term, but for you know the long term gain that you would you would get. Um, so first of all, I don't think it would be that disruptive. It's not as disruptive of trying to make Northern Powerhouse Rail and TRU do the same thing. Um, so we need to be really careful in upgrading rail routes that are already existing. Because we know from what happened uh, a few years ago with the timetable change around the Oxford Cord, that was hugely disruptive for the North and continued to be so for some considerable length of time because we're constantly meddling with the existing railway and trying to make it do more and different things when actually it is full up. We need a new line. You can build a new line without disrupting the existing, obviously, because it's a new line, there's nobody on it. So a new station, exactly, we could get on with doing that regardless of what was going on around it and with the existing rail network and connect it when it's ready to be connected. So I think the new line is definitely the way to go in our new station because we can build that without disruption. If you try and make Transpennine do more than it was constructed to do, then you are going to have disruption, not just for a few years, but for 10, 15, 20 years. And that is very detrimental to the northern economy. We know we need more than one route across the Pennines. You know, we've all been on that train, haven't we? 
on Transpennine Express when it breaks down and you cannot get anywhere else. There is no way other over the Pennines. We need two routes over the Pennines and then it would be just more... Um, it would just be better for the economy that we, we didn't have that disruption when one or other goes down. And I think that's that's what we've got to remember as well. We need more than one way across the Pennines. This is the 21st century. How can we just got one road over there and one railway over there? It's incredible, really, when you think about it. There are some who say, actually, the post-pandemic, actually, high-speed rail isn't what this country needs anymore. And in fact, it would be better just to make it easier to get round your local area around West Yorkshire. And it seems like the government is quite supportive of plans for West Yorkshire to finally get a metro system, which would include Bradford. But I assume it's your position that Northern Powerhouse Rail is needed on top of that, uh, a metro system for the Leeds City region or West Yorkshire, that's only part of what is needed. Absolutely. So um, I find it very frustrating for Northerners to argue against investment in transport. Why would we do that? Um, we're way behind the investment states when it comes to investing in our heavy rail in the north of England, and we should embrace any investment that comes our way with that. So you, you, we are very dependent on the northern economy, yet we can't get there, and it is very frustrating. So it, it shouldn't be that it takes over an hour to get from Bradford to Manchester. Um, and Manchester Airport still hasn't got direct services from Bradford, um, whereas London to Reading takes 20 minutes. No, that's the same distance as Bradford to Manchester. So why should we be expecting anything less in the north than there is in the south? So I think lots of people, I think perhaps if, if people are successful, they've had a, have got a good job, they've got a good car and they're getting around okay, perhaps they don't see the benefit from it. However, what I see is lots of young people who've had a really raw time from the pandemic are struggling to get on in life. We've got high youth unemployment in the district. What about them? What about their future? And I need those young people to be mobile, to be able to go anywhere across the north and to feel that they have a successful life to stay in the north. And for that to happen, we need Northern Powerhouse Rail and we need it to go through Bradford. Otherwise, you'll have a massive city like Bradford, 537,000 people, youngest in the country, not connected to the rest of the north. And that's not good for the north that's not good for bradford i do just think it's a no-brainer susan hinchcliffe leader of bradford council thank you very much so it's time to focus on another area of the north for a deep dive into its politics in the third week of our five things you need to know series and after spending some time on the river humber last week we're back in greater manchester to hear the five things you need to know about politics in the metropolitan borough of salford i suspect most people will be familiar with the gleaming media city development which houses a large part of the bbc's operations these days but there's a lot more going on than just that so to tell us all about it is joseph timmon the local democracy reporter for salford so uh, welcome to the podcast joseph thanks very much for having me rob the first thing we need to know about the borough of salford from a politics point of view is that it's a bit of a stronghold for socialism and um, who are some of the political names on on the left that we might be aware of well i think probably the biggest name sort of nationally people will be aware of is rebecca long bailey she was part of corbyn's shadow cabinet and was a front runner for leader sort of with support from the left of the party but locally as a council i think it's fair to say it's quite a socialist stronghold many labor councillors actually well a few of them came from the communist party before joining labor so it's definitely a left-leaning one i think one of sort of the symbols of socialism in salford it's salford's directly elected mayor paul Dennett who calls himself a sensible socialist. So he was elected 
to the council in 2012 when that new role of city mayor was created which uh, sort of came about after a referendum and there was a petition by started by the English Democrats and the majority of people voted for this new mayoral system. So Salford, every four years, will will choose a candidate specifically for mayor. He was elected as a councillor in 2012, uh, Paul Dennett, and with the support of trade unions such as Unite, became the Labour candidate in 2016 and uh, unsurprisingly secured the role of, of mayor for Labour again in Salford. And he won even more convincingly in May, uh, winning sort of almost 60% of first preference votes. There's a lot of, of sort of left-leaning politics going about in, in Salford all the time. What's interesting is with the parliamentary boundary changes that uh, have been proposed, we could have part of Salford that will be represented by the Tories in Parliament at some point, because the own, one of the few areas in Salford which is re- represented by Conservatives could be joined up with uh, Bury South, which recently turned Conservative in the um, the most recent general election sort of consolidating the vote there. So as much as there is a very sort of strong left-leaning presence there, the Conservatives do have sort of a presence and it could be even more significant in the years to come. Ah, so we could see a few uh, Tory Labour clashes in parts of Salford in, in the years to come. That's interesting. So obviously Salford isn't the only place to have elections, but I see that there was an election last week that was noteworthy for all the wrong reasons. What what happened there? Yeah, only one in 10 people in the ward where this by-election was happening uh, actually turned out to vote. It was later confirmed to me that that was the lowest ever in Salford's history. There have been a few other examples of lower turnouts, sort of in, in university areas when you've been out of term time or just before the pandemic, I think was probably the record one. But it, 10% is is really low for a turnout. And it's it's sort of in keeping with what you see in Salford. Labour's political opponents would say there's a lot of political apathy and use it sort of as a, a stick to beat Labour with, saying it's you know their 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 policies aren't truly being endorsed if only sort of a handful of the population are voting for them. And in the last local election in May, the turnout was twenty eight percent, and that was the lowest in Greater Manchester. But still, I mean, Labour you know saw that as a as a very convincing win in a, at a time when. Labour were losing seats all over the country following Hartlepool by-election result. It was seen as, as as quite a victory to hold on to seats and actually make one gain there. But yeah, it's uh, it's not somewhere with high turnouts. No, I mean, 10% is extraordinarily low. I've, I'm not sure I've ever heard of a, a by-election, at least at, at like a sort of high level of councils that has been quite as low, low as that. One of the big public policy issues of the day in the North and the country as a whole, I think, is how to build enough homes and where they're going to put them. But I, I see that Salford Council is being quite ambitious in that respect. What what can you tell us about that? Yeah, I think what's interesting with the, the Labour group in Salford is obviously being a left-leaning group, you're always going to get the criticisms of austerity and, and government, but it feels like it's almost not just an excuse and we move on from there. They're actually quite ambitious with how they want to confront those those challenges. So, for example, I mean, they they just started embarking on their biggest uh, public house building programme in, in 50 years. Mayor Paul Dennett wants to build 3,000 new council homes. He's not set a date for when he would achieve that. We've seen things sort of start getting into motion uh, with the first more than 400 homes planned and about £65 million pounds has been borrowed to finance that. And they're being quite creative in how they're doing it. So they set up a development company a few years ago. It's called Derive. It's named after a French Marxist revolutionary theory. And, I mean, the mayor himself actually still lives in social housing. So I asked him about this just before his re-election in May. And his, his answer really explains to you what sort of vision he's got. He says, you know, it should be available for everyone. He's part of the community there. And, and you know, it's about building communities, even if you end up 
earning tens of thousands more than the, the thousands that are on the on the waiting list, which is an endemic problem all over the country, as you say. But in Salford, you know, last I heard, there was about 6,000 people on the housing waiting list. It's probably gone up since then. Um, so it's, it is a really important political priority, but it's interesting watching how Salford's approaching it, trying to avoid the challenges of right to buy, where council tenants can buy their own properties at a discounted rate. It makes it really hard for councils to build at all because it's not really a good investment if you know it's going to be sold off quickly. But they're, they've built this company in a way, which I don't fully understand, but they say that you know it, it legally avoids some of the loopholes that you might find with right to buy. And one of the examples is supporting community-led housing. So there's a couple of charities involved in some of these housing projects that will be social housing, but because it won't be run by the council and it will be run by these charities, it won't be subject to the same rules. So there's a lot of creative solutions that are being attempted at least. And I think we'll see in the years to come whether they're able to achieve those sort of numbers and and, and it, they've managed to pull off the, the ambitions that they have. I get the impression, Joseph, that in Salford there are areas of strong growth like you know the city centre and and, and uh, the keys but also areas with very high levels of deprivation sort of not far away so it's quite a divided borough in that in, in that sense isn't it yeah it's very interesting because I mean the starkest examples is where you see areas like Salford Keys where like you said about 10 years ago the BBC moved in we've got Media City there with loads of um, you know startups as well as sort of the big anchor institutions as they call them and not far away just across the road in Odsall you've got loads of deprivation I mean overall Salford is the 18th most deprived local authority area in the country and yet in the last decade it's seen an estimated sort of billion pound boom into its in its economy driven by development in Salford Keys as we said and also near Manchester city centre because don't forget a big part of the borough of Salford actually is just sort of hugs the the city centre of Manchester and has been benefiting from the development there it's an important priority for the council to try and share out that growth and at the same time if you look at where sort of development is planned it's it's almost by design that this has happened I mean in the last couple of years, I think it was in 2019, nine out of 10 new homes in Salford that were built were apartments and they were all in just one part of Salford in the Oddsall Ward, which used to include Salford Keys. It's sort of now changed a bit um, in terms of ward boundaries. But, you know, it's very concentrated and that's not an accident. In the next 20 years, the council's vision is 75% of its new homes to be, again, mostly apartments and mostly near the city centre and in the Keys. So there's a lot of concentration of development. The final thing, the final topic that we need to know about is green initiatives in Salford. Obviously, it's quite timely given that we're in the middle of a COP 26 at the moment. And I suppose most local authorities around the country have their own different green schemes that they're doing to sort of boost their environmental credentials. But there are some quite high profile ones in Salford, aren't there? Yeah, I wanted to mention this one because I think there's an impression of Salford with all this development that it's just sort of one big concrete jungle. But actually, as a borough, it's got a lot of green space already. It is an important priority for the council. You know, like you say, with with COP26 going on at the moment, it's something they really want to shout about. They've had plans for a couple of years now for um, a big solar farm in uh, Little Holton to generate electricity there. There's a hydropower project in Charlestown. And they're making use of a lot of government funding that's been funneled through Greater Manchester to decarbonise sort of council-owned buildings. So they've really made use of a lot of those sort of grants to put solar panels on the town hall and and gyms and you know leisure centers that sort of thing at the same time it's got a lot of natural green space in the sort of 
southwest of the borough in the sort of Earlham and Caddishead area, you've got a lot of moss land and that's been a centre of some tension politically. So Chat Moss, uh, there were plans to build over a thousand houses in the original uh, Greater Manchester Spatial Framework Plan, which has been slowly, slowly cut over time and fewer and fewer houses proposed there. But it's still an important political point. I mean, from a biodiversity point of view, it's very unique and it's it's home to some, some sort of endangered uh, species that rely on there. But also for the people that live there, it's green space where they walk their dogs and it's, it's very important to them. So to give you an idea of how important that sort of area is politically, Labour actually managed to win back one of the seats in that area, which had lost to an independent candidate that basically stood on a, on a platform of, of saving Chat Moss and opposing that development plan. In the other ward that's sort of affected by it, uh, the Labour candidate there, he was part of the campaign to stop the development as well, despite being part of the Labour Party. And, and him and his other Labour colleagues in, in recent meetings have actually voted against endorsing the Places for Everyone plan, which is the new sort of regional master plan for Greater Manchester, because it still involves building on Chat Moss. So they, I've been told, would face disciplinary action for voting against you know, a whip there. So it is, it is an important political issue. So there's a host of interesting political issues going on in Salford. Um, Joseph Timmont, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for listening to the Northern Agenda podcast. And don't forget, you can subscribe to our daily newsletter at thenorthernagenda.co.uk. It's more important than ever for Northern voices to be heard. The Northern Agenda is a laudable production for Reach. It's presented by me, Rob Parsons, and Dan O'Donoghue, and it's produced by Daniel J. McLaughlin. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to The Northern Agenda wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple and Spotify. See you next week.